Amen. So, me and Niall, I mean, we're guys, and so when we get up here and preach, um, we get a lot of illustrations about, like, football or stuff like that, you know, and so here's one for the ladies. I've got a serious question for you. Why do you like romantic comedies so much? I've been married for a month tomorrow, and I'm learning that romantic comedies, they're all the same. They're so predictable. I'll give you a chance. Tell me if I'm right. So basically, to make a romantic comedy, I could be a writer, and I'll be worried. Um, You start with this good-looking guy. You know, super strong, good-looking but really sensitive, you know, just really in tune with his heart and, 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 and just, but yet still so much fun, adventuresome, just the perfect dream guy. Then you take a, a young lady, again, a highly attractive young woman, who then is missing something in her life, though. Am I right? Missing a sense of adventure, whether being overworked, or, or family situations or something, but she just needs something. And this man will fulfill her. And so there's always the awkward meeting where either one of them dumps coffee on the other or one yells at the other and then, and then ends up, that's, that's your new boss, congratulations. There's always that awkward meeting. Then somehow with the twist that is typically in the title of the movie, they fall in love and they start dating and everything's going smooth. Until that moment where it all goes wrong and disaster strikes and the relationship is over and it seems hopeless for the couple, then there's the airport scene. <laughs> oh, the airport scene where, where fully distraught, the young woman is going to the airport and, and is leaving forever, never to return to this town again. And, and then there's that moment where the, the young man realizes, I must have her. And goes after her and, and, of course, you know, somehow makes it through security um, faster than any of us could ever do it. And, 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 and makes it to the gate only to see the airplane flying away until he turns around. And there she is. Because she, too, realizes that she needs him. Pretty close? predictability. For some reason, we enjoy that, and we love it. But we also love when life is predictable just like that. We love it when it's neat and tidy, when we can look at life and say, yeah, if I'm good, I'm going to be blessed. If I'm not so good, I'm not going to be blessed. That's simple. We get it. It's wrong. It's not the way life is. You and I both know very, very well, life is not always fair. Your grandma was right. It's not. But yet we like God to fit in that box of being predictable based on our own understanding of what it should be. Our own moralistic scale of right and wrong. And so, as we turn to Ecclesiastes today and continue the story um, of, of Solomon wrestling with life, We see him wrestling with the idea of injustice. 
We see um, in chapter 3. You know, injustice so often, and rightfully so, as Dr. Pat shared, we see a lot of um, hurt around the world. That, that's unjust. What Dr. Pat shared and what I guarantee you will be shared here in a little while, that's injustice. And that, it's wrong. And we think of like genocide or, or racial discrimination, all highly unjust. But maybe it's the youth pastor inside of me that it's easy for me to go and think of injustice as being the junior high girl who is at school and being bullied for a lack of athletic ability, a lack of smarts maybe, or, or the way she dresses. That's injustice too. Don't miss that. Or perhaps you're working at a job and seeking advancement, but you're doing honest work, hard work. You're putting in your time and doing it well, but there's the dishonest guy fudging the numbers, and he's the one getting the promotion. Don't think injustice. Definitely think of injustice as the persecuted church. It's a beautiful example of it. But don't miss, there's injustice all around you. So don't tune out just because it's a word that isn't used a whole lot. So Ecclesiastes 3, and we're going to be jumping around a little bit today, but we're going to start in verse 16. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. Jump down there at the end of the page to chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead, who had already died, are happier than the living, who are still alive. But better than both, he says, uh, is he who has not yet been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all uh, labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hand and runs, uh, ruins himself. Uh, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. We're going to pause there. You know, you see very clearly Solomon, a, a ruler who's following after his father, King David. And he's looking at his kingdom and he's scratching his head, just immensely frustrated. You imagine that being the CEO of a company, or like I said, in his case, the ruler, and just seeing it's not what it's supposed to be. What is Israel supposed to be? Israel is to be an ambassador to the nations, a representative of Christ, and yet Solomon's looking at it and saying, really? Is there any difference that I can see? There is unrighteousness, as it said in verses uh, 16 and 17, that is reigning in the place of righteousness. You see oppression, where even so much so that those who are pressing are are really quite prosperous. He's seeing this injustice, and it gets him so angry that, I mean, you've been there, those moments where it's just like, you know what, I'd rather be dead. Solomon's saying, gosh, blessed are those who are dead. They don't have to deal with this anymore. We've all kind of felt that way, but of course he doesn't stop there. He's so frustrated that he's like, you know what? No, actually, it's better not to have ever experienced this world. We've all kind of been there. 
at different points in our lives, and sure, sometimes out of just immense emotion, but we've all been in this place, so don't, don't miss the human honesty in this passage. It's honestly something that's quite refreshing. And then I love that, that last part that I read talking about, you know, I saw labor, which earlier he had mentioned, oh, labor, you know, at least we can take pride in our work, but then it's like, oh, labor we can't even take pride in because guess what? That's all it is, is pride and envy. It, for me, when I was studying this this week, it's like home improvement. You like home, I loved home improvement growing up, and I remember Tim Allen every Christmas, every Christmas episode had him putting up lights and a nativity scene to what? To be better than the neighbors. And now, obviously, that, that, that was very comical every Christmas. I mean, they're my favorite ones. I love it. It's like my dad. But every yeah, yeah, hopefully he doesn't hear that. But, you know, I, I, we love that. It's fun. It, 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 they're Christmas lights. But Solomon sees what is continuing today. This isn't a new thing. What good we do is just, oh, oh, neighbors, um, oh. Yeah, yeah, I think we need to, to step it up. People at work, we do this all the time. Our work, what we should be able to take pride in, Solomon says, uh, no, <laughs> we're just doing it out of envy and, and pride from not being as good as somebody else. And so you just get this deep depression that Solomon is in. The story doesn't end here, though. And it's really fascinating this week as I studied it. Turn to the book of Habakkuk. It's in there, I promise. I'm sure you woke up this morning and like, oh, I want to hear a sermon on Habakkuk. And actually, Ashley and I this week on our, on our almost nightly trip, it seems, to Lickety, um, we, we had to sing the song to realize wh- where it was. You know, the song I learned in, in the third grade, no, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it, of the books of the Bible so that I knew right where Habakkuk is. So, fourth from the last in the Old Testament, after Nahum, another well-known book. If you have the Pew Bible, it's 662. The book of Habakkuk is a beautiful one. If you haven't spent much time in it, I, I highly recommend spending time this week wrestling with this book. Because in it, you see the prophet Habakkuk wrestling with God, ultimately. We're about to read of the injustice that oh Solomon was just talking about but that has continued for 300 years. And Habakkuk is saying these same things. You're going to see stark similarities between Habakkuk and Solomon. And with this, we get to see God's answer. Because God answers. If you look there, it says as one of the headings in chapter 1, the Lord's answer. So let's find out what he says about this injustice. So we're going to start in Habakkuk 1, verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteousness, or in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Again, it sounds so similar to what we were just reading about Solomon. It hasn't changed in 300 years. Well, God's about to do something. The Lord's answer, and yes, you should get a little chill on your spine when you hear this. I love this next verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. 
When was the last time you were utterly amazed at our God? For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impotent uh, people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than lepers, fiercer than the wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Yeah. God's doing something about the injustice. And if you keep reading, and I hope, like I said, you do this week, Habakkuk's answer is, uh, hello, that's even worse, God. Like I said, we fall into this moralistic scale. Well, Israel, yeah, we're bad, God. You need to do something about this, God. But Babylon? To which God even said their, their own God is their strength and might and power and, and is, they are wicked and ruthless? Babylon? And he's struggling with this idea, God, what are you doing? Do you really not get what is right and wrong? I mean, yeah, again, we're bad, but Babylon's much, much worse. And he's exactly right. He's exactly right. God said so himself. So what do we do when we feel that God is being unjust? I want to be clear, not saying that he is. His very nature is justice. But when from our perspective, on our set of scales, oh God, 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 what are you doing? Those times when you think, man, I have, I've dedicated my life to, to following after God. I, I've worked really hard at it. Yeah, okay, I screw up, but I work really hard. But man, those people, that, they seem like they got it made. I dare say we could all raise our hands to say we've had that conversation. Myself, very much included in that. We struggle with the same exact thoughts. So what do we do in those times when we wrestle with, is God being just? Honestly, the answer is quite humorous where it came from. As you know, Ashley and I got married, and on our way up from Indiana, um, after our honeymoon, we, um, I mean, I'm a pastor's kid, so, and, and she's just adorable, so we love Adventures in Odyssey. Can I get an amen, please? Exactly. Adventures in Odyssey, for those of you who don't know, is a wonderful audio series for kids. Yes, yeah, kids um, and youth pastors um, and, and, and adults. Okay, good. I'm glad I don't have to stop listening to that anytime soon. Um, by Focus on the Family, and, and it's terrific. Um, you know, they're, they're wonderful characters like, like Mr. Whitaker and everything, but there's one who, who always seems to catch, catch my interest, and that's Jack Allen. And again, for those of you who, who aren't familiar with the series, A, we've got it in the library. I highly recommend it. And B, um, Jack Allen, he, he's just that subtle, 
adds the theological truth in when, when even when Mr. Whitaker normally does. He, Jack's just, he's the guy you'll listen for. And it just so happened on our way up from Indiana, we were listening to Adventures in Odyssey, and one had, had Connie Kennel, teenage girl who's always, you know, messing up and stuff, just quite humorous character. But in this one, her, her grandmother died. And of course the question came up, well, why me? God, why did you let this happen to me? And Jack says, you know, Connie, you're asking the wrong question. You know, personally, I was waiting for, you know, well, you wait on God's time. God's ways are, are not, not your ways, you know. He, and that is totally and utterly true. But I love the spin that he puts on this that we need to get. And he'll make this so clear. We're asking the wrong question. It's not, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? It's, why is this not happening much, much more often? Think about it. From the Garden of Eden... And literally every single day, I could say every single second since, it has been a world filled with us trying to play God. That should scare you a little bit. We're described as sheep in the Bible, dumb sheep, which walk off a cliff and just keep following each other off a cliff. And that's not an insult to us, that's a reality. And I don't think it's hard to see that. And when you've got a bunch of sheep trying to play God, oh yeah, and throw in a sin nature in there, and oh yeah, an enemy as well, um, the world looks a lot more chaotic. And I think we could expect a lot more evil. And honestly, why doesn't a lot more stuff happen? It just really made me think that, um, for a couple weeks, still am thinking on it, wrestling with it, that we're asking the wrong question. We're failing to see where God has intervened, where he has been incredibly gracious and merciful in sparing us a lot of heartache and a lot and a lot of what we deserve. We love it when God is in the story of Gideon. 15,000 Midianites invade and he is defeat, the Midianites are defeated with Gideon and 300 um, people. Love it. Absolutely. We love when, here you go, I did one for the, for the ladies, now men, hockey. Steve Sullivan, hilarious story. Look it up on YouTube, it, it really is. He's a hockey player for the Chicago Blackhawks of 2001, and um, on a particular game against the Avalanche, um, he got a stick across the face. Hockey player, got big gash on his face, needing stitches. And he's going to the locker room, and there's just a fan heckling him unmercifully, being incredibly vulgar, he says. So, of course, he's a hockey player. So he's back in the game not too much longer after a few stitches, and he's playing his defensive um, position, and he ends up slapping um, a, a shot up into the air and higher and into the stands. And where did it land? On the face of the very fan that was heckling him so much. Now, I'm sorry, I don't think he's that good. I know he's a Blackhawk, but I don't think he's that good that he could intentionally do that. We love those stories. The, the, the good get what they deserve, and they get the revenge even, and, and the bad, man, 
those people, those bad people in our lives, man, they get what they deserve. We kind of we crack a smile. But we're seeing that God doesn't exist on our moral scale system. So with that in mind, what have we learned about God? Yeah, this is basically the intro to my three points here. No groans at that. That was my introduction, Niall. Man, what are you doing wrong? First one, there's going to be injustice. But there will be justice. Habakkuk continues, chapter 2, verse 3, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. What God is saying there to Habakkuk, is that yeah? I'm using Babylon. And yeah, it doesn't make sense to you, but Babylon's going to be judged. And if you've studied prophecy, and, and I know we've been as a church in Revelation quite a bit, and so this isn't a new idea, but with prophecy, often is dual meanings. And so absolutely, he's talking specifically to the judgment in, of Babylon, um, the impending judgment, but he's talking about a future judgment. A judgment which even Solomon in verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17, as we read, references a future judgment where justice will finally happen and exist for eternity. God is justice. So there is judgment. No, that doesn't take the place of when you are in that injustice, when you are feeling that personally, that doesn't always take away the pain and the suffering and the frustration. It doesn't. I know that. But I hope it provides hope that we know that our God is just and that justice is going to prevail in the end. Secondly, we should really enjoy the injustice of this world. Now that makes no sense after all I've said, I know. So let me clarify. One of my college professors, one of my favorites um, while I was at Moody, um, Dr. Clark, he, he used this really bold language all the time. He said, God's grace and mercy... They are the greatest scandals in all the world. It is so unjust that we are living today. Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. Not death in 80 years. Not death, death, and then life eternally in heaven. No, no, no. The wages of sin, the penalty for our sin, for our injustice, is death. We deserve Adam and Eve should have killed over and died. But God, who is rich in mercy, spares them and spares us every breath that we take. We need to remember, no, I'm not saying God is unjust, but you get the point that he is preserving us, that, that, that justice will be carried out, and yes, we get to experience that, but right now, injustice reigns, and you better say hallelujah, because you are a result of that. And everyone who is given time to receive Christ gets to experience that every day. Last point. Realize that God has a plan. God has a plan. He's sovereign. He knows what he's doing. He's, yeah, he's using the Babylonians in this passage, but how many times has he used a bad situation to teach you, to train you? And guess what? He gets to use you in injustice. 
That's what it means to be the hands and feet of God. That's what it means to be the body. Those king, that 300-year period between Solomon and Habakkuk. Yeah, there were some good kings. You know what made them good? They did something. They didn't just wait for God to sprinkle magic, good king dust down. They, they, they took their calling seriously. And they acted. And that's what we're called to do as believers today, is to act on injustice. No. Jesus is clear that it's not ever going to be eradicated. But that doesn't mean we can't minister. How many times in the New Testament are we called to minister to, to the widowed, the poor, the orphan, the junior high girl, to the employee? How many times? And so we've got to act. We have to trust that God has a plan and that we can trust it and follow after it. Because we've got to get away from our own scale, that moralistic scale I was talking about, because we keep putting our happiness here. We've got to get over it. Our happiness is not what we're measuring on our scales. Our scale should be balanced by what it says in Habakkuk 2.14. The earth will, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is what is the plan, ladies and gentlemen. The glory of the Lord is our scale, and we don't get to say, well, this brings more glory. No, no, no. God determines. He knows what brings him glory, and we don't get to set that scale. We just get to trust. And honestly, that's a refreshing place to be, to be able to trust our Father and not have to sweat over what's coming, what do I need to do. no. Do what's been given to you and trust God with the rest, even with injustice. Now, honestly, I wanted to end there. I, want, I debated all week. Maybe this should be where I stop. But Solomon, in his interesting way in Ecclesiastes, jumps around. It's his mind racing. Flip back to Ecclesiastes 4. He does it in talking about the injustice. Ecclesiastes 4. This is a familiar passage of Scripture you guys are familiar with. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help, excuse me, can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Solomon gets it for just an instant. He looks at all the injustice going on in the world, and then he takes a very small breath. And he's like, but you know, friendship. Friendship is so incredible. It is a mercy of God to us. And Solomon recognizes that in the middle of injustice, in the middle of all his lamenting and all his emotional frustration, he recognizes one thing. God's still merciful. And isn't it true that just a friend, a true friend, not a Facebook friend, not your 682, but that one, two, maybe three friends in your life that aren't going to let you be broken. Isn't that an incredible mercy in a time of injustice? So, we see it 
very clearly in, in Genesis where, where God even says that it's not good for man to be alone. But yet we try to live so individualistically. We see it in the Trinity. Yes, our, our God exists in community. But yet again, we like to be head honcho, lone ranger. We see it in the church body. It's not the church finger. It's not the church arm. It's not the church foot. It's the church body. We are to exist together, working together in community. Friendship is a very biblical thing. Community is highly biblical. And it's for a reason. It's for this reason, I believe. And so, honestly, the homework this week, so to speak, A, read Habakkuk, but B, whoever that friend is, I want you to tell them. Why can't we encourage each other that you, you are that person who has helped me through this, this way, and I thank God for every minute I get with you. Okay, yeah, I know guys especially, we're not like, it's more like, hey, thanks. And then, you know, like, I mean, that, that, that ends it. But I don't know. Has anybody ever really hated being told that they were really important in your life? Would you hate to be told that? It's time we're honest because it really encourages us as a body. And I, I just, I love the beauty of that in the midst of great, great injustice. I'm going to go ahead, and if I could get the worship team to come on up. And if you would, we're going to go ahead and pray, and they're going to lead us in one more song. Dear Father, we, we thank you. Um, yeah, we thank you for injustice. We thank you for your grace and mercy, that time where, where we get to enjoy life, not always every bit of it, but we get to see you working in injustice. We get to be part of that um, work, with that part of that plan, and we thank you for that. Lord, we, we do look forward to the day that justice is finally served, that you get to reign supreme on the earth, and every knee is going to bow, and you get the praise that you deserve. But Lord, I, I pray that in this time here we're here, that every single person here is, is it, it, it seems juvenile, honestly, but we need a friend. And so I pray that everyone here has in this church family the mercy of a strong brother or sister. We thank you for your word. We thank you for even Ecclesiastes, a hard book. And um, we give you the glory, Lord, in your name. Amen.